Hello and welcome to the Explore History podcast on the Tudors. I'm Dr. Scott McLean and I'll be leading you through this bit of a journey. I thought it would be best to open this series by addressing a few simple questions. What is so special about the Tudors? Why do we, living in the 21st century, have such a fascination with the Tudor period? The Tudor dynasty came into power in 1485 with Henry Tudor's defeat of Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth Field. As interesting as his victory was, it wasn't particularly remarkable. At the time, would have seemed to all those concerned to simply be a continuation of all the battles of the past 30 years, known collectively as the Wars of the Roses. Yet there was a difference, as Henry VII, unlike those before him, was able to bring stability to the crown and kingdom, and bring an end to the civil war which had kept the country in a state of turmoil. The Tudor dynasty would survive until the death of Elizabeth I in 1603, and since that time, people have looked back on it with great interest. Even members of the Stuart court, irritating King James to no end, often referred to Elizabeth's reign as a golden age. Today, the fascination continues, with more books published each year than anyone could care to read. Films, TV series, and let's not forget podcasts, all engaging in some form or another with the history of the Tudor age. So the question is why? Well, there are, of course, many different things to be considered, but here I will focus on four. First, much of the fascination revolves around the fact that the period has its fair share of larger-than-life figures. It's difficult to not be intrigued by the likes of Henry VIII, popularly portrayed as spending his days eating and drinking, hunting and whoring, marrying, divorcing, and beheading those who got on his wrong side. He was an impetuous bully with a bad temper and had the tough qualities expected of a medieval ruler. But he was also pious. He was interested in music and the arts. It's hard not to be intrigued by the raw power he wielded at court, bringing down those around him that failed to do his bidding and expressed in the fifty-odd palaces he built or acquired during his reign. Or maybe our fascination lies instead with Elizabeth, a woman ruler in a man's world, and a very successful one at that surviving when she shouldn't have survived, transforming the medieval court of her father into a Renaissance mecca for the arts, learning, entertainment, and intrigue, and setting England along the path to becoming a Protestant nation and empire. The other Tudor rulers, Henry VII, Edward, and Mary, are all of great interest, an important part of the story, but they haven't garnered the same attention as Henry VIII and Elizabeth. And of course, the air is filled with other larger-than-life figures, not members of the royal family. Sir Francis Drake, Sir Walter Raleigh, William Shakespeare, Cardinal Wolsey, Thomas Cromwell, and others. We could also look to the period as needing our special attention due to the importance of religion. The Tudor period was a time of great religious change. In 1517, Luther set in motion the Protestant Reformation. His ideas quickly spread through many of the northern European states, soon reached the English shores. Henry VIII took little convincing, happily made the switch to Protestantism, not for religious reasons, he would continuously vacillate between Catholicism and the new faith, but because he saw how it could benefit him personally. Being the head of the Church of England gave him increased power and influence. It enabled him to get a much-needed divorce from his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Some took to the street in jubilation, others in protest with torches in hand. Priests went into hiding and heretics were burned. Statues of the Virgin were pulled down and church decorations whitewashed. The Catholic calendar, with all its 
festivals and saints days was gone, and even St. George was transformed into a more secular hero. Its impact, of course, went far beyond this, as it set England in direct opposition to the papacy, to France and Spain. It changed England's relationship with Scotland and Ireland, and gave England common ground with the Protestant nations of Northern Europe. Another factor which makes the Tudor period of particular interest is that it was a time when England moved from periphery to centre stage. At the beginning of the 16th century, England was very much a minor player in Europe, something of a cultural backwater. By 1485, the Renaissance, which was transforming places like Florence and Venice and France, had yet to reach England's shores. The courts of Henry VII and VIII were still medieval in character, but things were beginning to change. We see this most directly in changes in court culture, the growing sense of refinement emerging by the time of Elizabeth I. We see it in the different types of activities at court. The medieval obsession with hunting continued, and Elizabeth herself was fond of a good hunt. But we see a greater focus upon poetry, foreign languages, theatre, and more. I've always pictured Henry VIII's court being decorated with a lot more antlers on the walls in the court of Elizabeth. It's not hard to imagine Henry VIII arriving back from a hunt, accompanied by a pair of majestic deer hounds. While the dogs we associate with the Stuart monarchy are the slightly more cuddly King Charles Spaniels. Elizabeth's court, I believe, would have fallen somewhere in the middle. We see the change in the establishment of Renaissance-style gardens at many of the great houses across the country. Gardens were no longer for just herbs and vegetables. Well, this was still an important part of gardens. However, from the later reign of Henry VIII, we see an increasing number of gardens being established with rest and relaxation, entertainment and reflection in mind. Now, this shift from periphery to center stage goes well beyond the adoption of Renaissance influences. The adoption of the Protestant faith by Henry VIII brought England into, into direct conflict with Catholic Europe. England now had a much more important role to play in European affairs. In my mind, though, there is something else which makes the Tudor period of great interest, something which influenced and was influenced by all the factors already discussed. This is change, dramatic, society-changing, worldview-altering change. When the Tudor period began at the end of the 15th century, England had, like much of Europe, been through a prolonged period of social, economic, and political turmoil. In 1300, the population of England is estimated to have been somewhere around 5.5 million people. This figure was reached after relative continuous growth since the 11th century. However, all would change during the 14th century when Europe was hit with a combination of calamitous events, including a cooling climate, the Little Ice Age, disease, including the Black Death, and almost incessant warfare. Think of the Hundred Years' War. England's population dropped dramatically to around 2 to 2.5 million and stayed there until the early end of the 16th century. By the 1520s, the population began to rise, slowly at first, and then more rapidly. Urban centres expanded, new wealth was being generated. Agricultural methods remained relatively unchanged, but new land was brought under cultivation, and more and more landowners began to look at their farms with a more capitalist eye. The medieval manorial system broke down, more goods were created to feed the growing urban population, which itself began to specialize. People also began to view their world much differently. We see this first of all with the growing popularity of Protestantism, its emphasis on education and literacy, so the individual could personally engage with biblical text. We see it more dramatically with the discovery of the New World. 
how people were confronted with the realization there was not only other continents to be explored, but whole civilizations that were previously unknown. Soon England and the rest of Europe would be introduced to a veritable cornucopia of exotic items, like potatoes, tomatoes, chocolate, and tobacco. England was slow to get involved in the age of exploration, but it was shaped by it nonetheless. Henry VII established the first dry dock in England at Portsmouth. His son Henry would build upon this, building ships and acquiring others. So by the time we get to Elizabeth's England, uh, the country had emerged as a significant naval power and was ready to begin its own forays into overseas conquest and colonization. Now, I've just briefly touched upon some of what makes the Tudor period a rich area of study. I hope you found this little introduction of interest, and if so, feel free to dive in a little deeper by listening to the rest of the series as it unfolds.